Welcome to In the Booth on Sportsnet 650, an emergency edition of the show. I'm Brendan Batchelor, and I'm joined this week, as always, by Randeep Janda. A little bit different circumstances than our normal podcast recording, Randeep. You're in Toronto getting ready for All-Star Week. I'm at home hanging out because it's the bye week. Uh, and right before this, I was making dinner and washing dishes and putting my daughter to bed and trying to figure out exactly what happened with this Canucks trade at the same time. So for me, this is going to be a lot of processing this and reacting in real time. How about you? I'm sure you were busy out and about this evening in Toronto. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'm definitely not putting any kid to bed. I'm not really not uh, <laughs> in a situation like you cooking dinner. I was out for dinner. And oddly enough, uh, hanging around with some of the the insiders that were breaking the news. So while this was going down, a shock to everybody. And uh, what news when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks once again shaking up the All-Star break and making a huge move with multiple players uh, trading, trading cities batch. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get to the trade and we can talk through it and our initial impressions of it. And if you've got any anecdotes from hanging out with some of the heavy hitters in the hockey world in Toronto, then you can fill in the gaps there. But here I'll read from the official release from the Canucks that came out at 6.02 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Wednesday night. Vancouver Canucks general manager Patrick Alvine announced today that the club acquired forward Elias Lindholm from the Calgary Flames in exchange for Andre Kuzmenko, Hunter Brustevich, Yoni Yermo, a first-round pick, and a conditional fourth-round pick in the 2024 NHL entry draft. And we're recording this at about 8.30 Pacific, 11.30 Eastern on Wednesday night. So it's just a couple of hours after the news was broken. Uh, We have learned since this initial announcement that that conditional fourth-round pick becomes a third-round pick if the Canucks make the Western Conference Final this year. Craig Conroy revealed that in an interview on our sister station, Sportsnet 960, the fan in Calgary. So that's the deal. Lindholm to the Canucks, five pieces the other way. Kuzmenko, Brustevich, Yermo, a first-round pick, and a conditional fourth. Your initial reaction, Randy? This was something that, you know, with Elias Lindholm, we'd heard the rumblings. There was a couple of players, Elias Lindholm, uh, picked up steam over the last week or so, but initial thoughts are, okay, the Canucks are getting uh, a heck of a player. This is a player that's versatile in a couple of different ways. First of all, in terms of position, you know, he's a guy that can play on the wing. He can play down the middle. Uh, Somebody that's played on the best line in hockey when it was a thing in Calgary with Goudreau and Kachuk and was a very, very good piece next to, you know, two really, really top-end players. Uh, But also situational versatility is really important with Elias Lindholm as well. His ability to play with different players, and I think that's going to prove something that's extremely valuable both to JT Miller and Elias Pettersson gives this lineup a couple of uh, options where they can load up, of course, with the lotto line, but also uh, potentially, you know, even have him play on the wing alongside one of those players or have Pettersson, you know, platoon alongside uh, Lindholm maybe on the wing. So it does give you options. You're not tied to having a certain player you know, play down the center position with Elias Lindholm. He can be a winger for you as well. So a a couple of things um, positionally, but also, you know, you've got the five-on-five game. You've got the PK. He does the power play. He does it all. And in case of injury, in case of you needing to change up, you know, matchups in the playoffs or late in the season, Batchy's a guy that's hit 80 points in his career. He's hit 70 points uh, at other times as well. 
this is a guy that is a high skill player. But when I think of a, you know, what his strongest suit is, it's to me, it's you have many options with him due to his versatility. Yeah, he's a former 40-goal scorer as well, although this year has been a quieter season offensively for him. Nine goals, 23 assists for 32 points in 49 games with the Calgary Flames. But I think the versatility is the key part of this addition for the Canucks for me. And we've got a lot of listener questions, so we're going to get into them early and, and really break this move down as we go on throughout the show. But as you allude to, he's a power play guy. Uh, he's a penalty kill guy. He's a right shot centerman. He's north of 55% on the draws this year. So he's a guy that can win a key faceoff for you on the side of the ice where the Canucks don't have any centermen to take strong side draws as right shots. All of their guys are left shots or, or all of their key guys anyway that, that take draws. Although I know Sam Lafferty steps in there and, and takes the odd face off. But generally speaking, he is now a right shot center for them. He's a guy, as you said, flexibility on the wing, on either of the top two lines, down the middle. So you can roll the lotto line if you want. And we can get into where the best fit might be be for him but really when you look at the kind of player the Canucks were looking to target at the trade deadline and the needs that they needed to fill I think he's maybe the only player out there that ticks absolutely every single box he's a winger he's a centerman he's a face-off guy he's a penalty kill guy he's a power play guy he can play shutdown minutes he scored 40 goals in his career now Will he be all of those things for the Canucks? Probably not. But the fact that he could be makes him really appealing. Oh, for sure he does. And and I think there's the element of, and there's going to be a lot of people in this market saying, hey, why not Jake Gensel? Why not go for that player uh, that everybody was talking about? And two things on that. Um, it takes two to tango. The Pittsburgh Penguins still feel like they have a shot at the playoffs. So that's one conversation point. Put that to the side. The other thing is that positional versatility and having the options to load up with the lotto line, having the options to, you know, put Elias Lindholm on the wing himself does give you, you know, an option that wasn't there with a Jake Gensel or a player that's strictly down the wing, especially on the high end. Those types of players are not available. You might have other players that are more third-line players batch. So I think with Lindholm, what you're getting is a, a really, you know, a difference maker. And, you know, 32 points in 49 games, is not a, a great number for him. And this is a guy that's put up 82. He's put up 78 in his career. But you know who had you know, 34 points in 58 games before he was traded to Vancouver in 2019-2020? Some guy named Tyler Toffoli. Um, sometimes when you play on a bad team or a team that's struggling, there's a trickle-down effect to you as well. You're not playing with the best players. And we've seen that work out for you know good teams when they pick up good players. They're in a better situation. The output will be better. So you know when I look at the where will he play and where will he fit, um, I I still think the the option of having the lotto line and having that super weapon so to speak is going to be something that's extremely valuable for this team. But you do want to roll with two lines that are deep and. I think Lindholm, whether he's playing the middle or whether he's playing the wing, he gives you that option. So whether it's next to Elias Pettersson or, you know, whether it's maybe a, a second line that doesn't have, um, maybe it's uh, Ilya Mikheyev and insert your other winger there, uh, it does give them options, which they didn't have before. And as much as I like Pew Suter and, and other players in that spot, Lindholm is a big step up when you're talking about down the middle of centering your second line. 
Yeah, so let's get into some of these listener questions. And Asan writes in and says, would you put the lotto line back together or play Pedersen with Lindholm and leave Brock and JT together? And this is an interesting question because when you look at the way that lines are built, oftentimes we hear coaches talk about tandems. And it's clear that Miller and Besser have been a tandem this year. Uh, you know, Pedersen and Kuzmenko were a tandem last season, although that certainly hasn't worked with the same effectiveness this year, in part, you know, part of the reason why Kuzmenko was dealt the other way in this trade. But the options are there, and, and this is the way I look at it. You talk about Lindholm with Mikheyev, and based on the way they've constructed their lines lately, you would assume that Pew Suter would be the other winger on that line if you're going to put the lotto line together. The thing I like about Lindholm, Mikheyev, and Suter is they're all 200-foot forwards. They're all guys that you can rely on defensively. You might be able to use them as a shutdown matchup kind of line. And that, to me, is the biggest interesting thing about bringing in Lindholm, is it changes the identity, potentially, of that second line if you do go back to the lotto line. If you want to stay away from the lotto line, and look, Pew Suter has done very well playing with JT Miller and Brock Besser, then you can say, okay, we're going to start Lindholm on the wing with Pedersen and Mikheyev, or you could even put Lindholm in the middle and move Pedersen to the wing and play Mikheyev on the wing as well. And then you're talking about having a couple of those tandems and maybe spreading things out over your top two lines. It wouldn't surprise me if we see both of those options, but personally because of how well the lotto line played when they were first put together, I would like to see them stay together because I think when you put your best players together, it gives you the best chance for success. But I'm interested in your opinion on this question. Yeah, on this one, I'm kind of looking at the playoffs as a, you're going to need, of course, the secret weapon at some point in time of that lotto line. But is it something that you roll with day in, day out, game in, game out? Uh, To me, not necessarily. And, you know, I think when they are clicking, they're really, really good. But sometimes, as we've seen in the last few weeks, you, you have to you have to shake it up. And the line of Pedersen, Lindholm, and Mikheyev to me, I really like that duo of Pedersen and Lindholm. I think Ilya Mikheyev as a third piece on that line is a ideal for him, right? He was kind of lost there with Kuzmenko. Uh, neither of those guys were really stepping up to be you know, the second option on a line. You insert a Lindholm, whether he's playing on the wing or down the middle, and you've got a player who's a dual threat. As you mentioned, 40-goal score. Uh, Elias Pettersson is a 100-point score. Uh, could be the first Swedish player to do that back-to-back seasons in NHL history. You know, We know the high-end ability of both of these guys. Uh, and then you start looking at Besser and Miller and the chemistry that they have with Pew Suter, more defensively responsible. To me, you know, the lotto line together in kind of bits and pieces or in spurts is fine. But I just like the balance of this lineup with Elias Lindholm playing alongside Pedersen. You know, you go back to those duos, right? Today's NHL in the top six. That third piece on a line, whether it's the suitor, whether it's McKay, you can rotate that piece in and out depending on effective effectiveness. But those duos really, really matter. And I, I like that balance that Lindholm brings to the Pedersen line. So I'd go with that makeup and stick with Miller, Besser, and Suter. 
and I'm not going to lie, as a play-by-play guy, part of my uh, motivation on keeping the lotto line together is I don't want Elias and Elias on the ice at the same time <laughs> together because I'm sure I would find a way to screw that up. But it'll be interesting to see which way they go. I, I can see positives for both. I just think that the lotto line can be such a big difference. And look, even if they don't play that way a lot of the time, you know they can go to the lotto line situationally down the stretch. Uh, they can do it in a playoff series uh, if they need to get a goal and and that's something that you know they'll go to if they absolutely have to. Uh, another question in, and I like this one, Dan writes in, how am I supposed to feel? Which, <laughs> it's such a loaded question. Like, we're not going to tell you what to think of this trade. The only thing I'll say in response to this question, which is super open-ended from Dan, is I think you should be excited because whether you like the trade or not, whether you like the price or not, whether you like the fit with Lindholm on the roster or not, the Canucks are buyers at the trade deadline because they're a Stanley Cup contender. And that in and of itself is incredibly exciting when you think about where they were a year ago, trading Bo Horvat away uh, and and giving up a, a player that you know had been such a key part of the organization and things were trending in the wrong direction. They just made a coaching change. It felt like nothing could go right, and here we are a year later, and they're buying Elias Lindholm at the trade deadline to try and go on a run. Yeah, it means that this is a team that is you know relevant in the NHL in terms of just being. Uh, heavyweight and and that's something that hasn't been the case in Vancouver for a few years and you mentioned it right this is a signal by the team that they're rewarding the players for the play they're rewarding the coaches because this has been it's it's on the record to say this has been the most consistent team up until the all-star break they have not lost three games in a row this year batch which is you know they can say that when nobody else across the league can say that so you know how should you feel and listen i i think this is anytime your team is relevant anytime your team has a a shot at the cup and it's not like this is a a team that's somehow bucking the trend and you know regression and all that stuff we had those conversations at the beginning of the year this is a team that has elite talent this is a team that is amongst the best when it comes to offense and defense across the league. And to add a player like Lindholm, who has, you know, a 40-goal score, uh, two-time 40-assist guy, he's definitely been somebody uh, two-plus times, I should mention. Uh, This is a guy that is going to bring a high level of skill to this team, and he's going to really solidify something that we were asking of. Do you have a player that can make you a threat in the top six? Because there were maybe a couple of parts the Canucks needed to add, whether it was Kuzmenko and the trust factor. Um, Elias Lindholm, you can trust him. He's a 200-foot player, and I think that's the most important part here where you're saying, hey, this is the moment you can strike. Do you have the right players? Do you have the right players that you can trust in those situations? Uh, I think you should feel pretty good as a Canucks fan because come April and potentially May, you've got a player here that is going to, A, help you win, and he's going to be trusted by Rick Tockett, something, unfortunately for Andre Kuzmenko, that wasn't the case. Here's another question on Twitter from BAE Harbor Butcher who says, is this a rare trade where both teams win? I think Kuzmenko will do better away from Tockett. The prospect and low first rounder may pan out and Lindholm will be good for Vancouver now and as protection if PD doesn't re-sign. And that last part is the most interesting part about, you know, this, this question for me because That's kind of what I had been pitching going back a few weeks, that I thought Lindholm was a great fit in terms of helping this team win now. 
but he's also a guy that you might be able to get at a more favorable number than you think if you want to extend him uh, because he's kind of having a down year offensively and it's insulation in the event that you aren't able to come to terms with Elias Pedersen on a long-term extension. Now the question of do both teams win? I think the Flames are certainly happy with this and it's a clear indication now that Craig Conroy and that Calgary group are going to be sellers and uh, you know Craig Conroy was on as I mentioned Sportsnet 960 in Calgary earlier tonight with Pat Steinberg and and you know I was listening to a little bit of their show and they seem to be pretty happy with the return they were able to get for a guy like Elias Lindholm but this also signals that the Flames are probably getting ready to sell and that'll tie into some conversations we have about other potential trades the Canucks might make before the deadline going forward as I'm seeing some of the other questions rolling in here but let's get back to the initial question here is this the rare trade where both teams win well I think we've talked a lot about the Vancouver aspect and I think you know the player we've talked about what his role will be how his impact can be so I think from a Vancouver perspective we can understand that now from a Calgary perspective yeah this is listen first round pick in the 2024 draft um, you're able to pick really and you get a player who's going to be able to produce on the power play uh, is going to be a top six player for a Calgary team that needs offense and Andre Kuzmenko. So you get an option. It's not a certainty. Andre Kuzmenko, we've seen him play in Vancouver. The high end is really high, 39 goals. But, you know, there are certain things in his game that still coaches require. And we'll see how that happens in Calgary with Ryan Huska. Uh, obviously, Hunter Brustevich is the big one, right? Right shot defenseman. He's third in OHL scoring. And that's as a defenseman. Remember that. Um, this is a guy that I, I think if you're Calgary, uh, that's a big win. Uh, this is a player that was highly touted, is highly touted. Um, so, yeah, I, I look at, remember, both teams can win based on the fact of what their immediate needs are. For Vancouver, it's we need to get better now. We need to solidify what we have with our players in the top six. And for Calgary, yeah, this is a this is a step back for them in terms of their window. They have a few UFAs and they have to start selling. So, you know, I really like that Brustevich pickup. I think in terms of having more options, more draft picks, um, getting some more offensive pop, I like the deal for both sides. I know that's a bit of a cop-out for some people, but, you know, very different ambitions for both sides. And, you know, Canucks fans might be saying, or some people might be saying the Canucks overpaid for Elias Lindholm. I don't think so. I think effectively what this deal comes down to, cap, uh, you know, in a cap world batch is, you know, Kuzmenko had 39 goals last year, was not that player this year, and... Remember, five and a half million dollars comes off the books for this year and next year. So, and next year is the real important one. So, you do get some flexibility and you get a high end player. And that's why I think it's also a win for Vancouver in addition to getting Lindholm. Yeah, and you're right. That sentiment that the Canucks overpaid is out there. Lyle wrote, uh, wrote in on Twitter, didn't really ask a question, just had a comment, said, that's too much. If Tanev was involved, then it's okay, but that's too much. And again, like, I don't know if I would go as far as to say we have to think of Kuzmenko as a negative asset in this trade, but the Canucks needed the Flames to take some money on in order for this to be able to work and then to be able to fit Lindholm in under the cap. You know, Kuzmenko, as you allude to, has another year on his deal, so that's the Flames committing money to him for next season, not just this season. The Canucks gain some flexibility in that regard, so I can understand the price, and you know, I saw the sentiment out there as well, you know, five pieces for one guy. Well, 
Yoni Yermo was a, a depth prospect, not someone we were expecting to be in the NHL in Vancouver very soon. If the Canucks don't make the Western Conference Final, it's a fourth-round pick. You know, third-round pick, if they make the Western Conference Final, then great. You've gone on a great playoff run. You know, it increases by one round. And in a trade like this, you were always going to have to give up the first-round pick. So I can see why on the face of it, it looks like it's paying a lot for one player. But as you allude to, there are some some things you have to sort of look beyond in a salary cap world where you're not just looking at wow, Kuzmenko was a 39-goal scorer last year. Lindholm has been a 40-goal scorer, yet the Canucks had to give up all these extra pieces. Totally, and I I think, you know, some of those, you know, Kuzmenko is a pickup for Calgary uh, because they need offensive scoring, uh, you know, offensive output for the Vancouver Canucks. Very different situation. They need players that they can potentially win with in the playoffs. And, you know, so I understand it's okay for two teams to look at a player differently. And, you know, for the Yoni Yermo situation, this is a Canucks team since Yoni Yermo was selected in 2020, they've made other defensive uh, additions in the draft. They've got other young players that they're looking at, you know, whether it's uh, Elise Pedersen the second, or whether it's Sawyer Minio, there's, there are other individuals within this organization that could fill that spot and are a little bit younger. And in order to get something, you have to give up something, um, so I'm not totally worried about that. Yes, five pieces is a big number, but Batch, if you're able to, you know, win a few playoff rounds, if you're able to have some success and, you know, Elias Lindholm is a, a success not only short-term but long-term for this team, um, you know, you're not worried about some of those other pieces that I mentioned in, in the, the hall. It's, yeah, a couple of those pieces, the first-round pick and and a player like Brustevich, of course, are going to be you're going to be looking down the road saying, what do those turn into? I think those are the ones that you look at. But in order to get something in the NHL, you do have to give up something. And, and that's the price you pay for a guy that's been able to score 80 points in his, in his career in the NHL. Yeah, and uh, we'll get to one more question here before we have to hit a break, and it kind of ties into this conversation. Trevor asks, uh, Brustevich, the prospect that was traded, how will this affect the future pipeline of D-Man? And I think this is an important thing to bring up, and you alluded to it there. Part of the reason that I think they're comfortable parting with a player like Brustevich is because of how they have built out built out their defensive pipeline to a certain extent. Like we've talked about Cole McWard and Akito Hirose, who are mm-hmm. more mature prospects, but they're in the system. They're in Abbotsford. They're part of their depth on the blue line. Uh, Sawyer Minio, who you alluded to. Elias Pettersson, the defenseman. Um, Kirill Kudryavtsev is a player that has yep. grown in his game as well. They've got Tom Vlander playing college hockey as a first-round pick. Like their defensive depth is a lot better than it was, say, a year or two ago, and it's part of the reason why, even though this is a, a prospect uh, in Brustevich who's having a tremendous year, who looks like he might have high upside, uh, you're comfortable moving on from him because you've got a lot of other defensemen in your system. And I think the other thing we need to touch on here is oftentimes, you know, with this Canucks organization lately, it's been about, oh, that guy's not playing well. We got to get him out of here. Like, you know, Garland and Besser over the past couple of years. The conversation's been these guys aren't performing to their contracts. You want to move on from them to create flexibility and bring other guys in. This trade is the Canucks selling as high as you possibly can on a prospect. You alluded to it, Brustevich having a tremendous year in the OHL. So 
you know, it, it's one of those situations where you sell high. And look, maybe Brustevich ends up being a great defenseman for a long time for the Calgary Flames organization. But that said, he is still a prospect. It's not like he was a super high pick in the draft or anything like that. And when you've got a lot of other defensemen and you've got a team that has a chance to go on a run right now, that's a player that you feel comfortable giving up to a certain extent, I would say. No doubt. And I think, you know, we got to look at a couple of things here. In order to get something of impact, you do have to give up something potentially that is going to be a, a player that turns into something, right? Whether, you know, Brustevich is able to hit that level uh, that he's showing right now at the NHL level, I guess we'll wait and see. But you're getting a player of impact. And this is one of those things when you're in your competing window, which the Vancouver Canucks are, and they're showing that they are, you have to make bold moves like this. You have to you have to show, you know, that you can elevate your team to that next level. So anytime you make a move like this, of course, there's an element of risk, but having skin in the game, that's what playoff hockey, that's what being a playoff team and a contender is all about, Batch, where, you know, it's it's a risky play. It's a, it's a situation where you're wondering, okay, how is this going to go? But one thing I will say, it is January 31st. This is a a situation where you have a lot of runway for this team to play with Elias Lindholm in the lineup. You have a lot of time for this, you know, lineup to get accustomed to him and him to get accustomed to the lineup. So that's what I like about this move as well. It's very much in the Jim Rutherford fashion. And now we're seeing in the Patrick Alvine fashion of get your job done around the all-star break. So you do have some time for, and this time around as a, a contending team, kind of what we saw in Pittsburgh when they made their moves early of you can get your business done so this team can start to gel early. This is In the Booth, an emergency edition of the show coming to you after the Canucks made a move to acquire Elias Lindholm from the Calgary Flames on Wednesday. On the other side, we'll answer plenty more listener questions. We'll also talk about the fact that the Canucks gave Patrick Alvine a new three-year contract extension as the general manager coming on the heels of Jim Rutherford's extension and how that maybe ties in, or maybe it's not related to the fact that on the very same day he gets his contract extension, Alvine goes out and gets a major piece for the Vancouver Canucks. That's all still to come right here on your official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to In the Booth on Sportsnet 650 with Brendan Batchelor and Randeep Janda. If you're catching this on the radio, I always remind you this does live as a podcast as well on the Canucks Central podcast feed where you can get all sorts of Canucks content. You get Canucks Central with Sat and Reach every weekday, although I know Reach is away this week. Uh, but nonetheless, you get the show every single weekday. You get every single Canucks postgame show with Sat and Bick, and you get our weekly show in the booth. This is an emergency edition of the podcast this week. We're recording on Wednesday night after the Canucks acquired Elias Lindholm from the Calgary Flames. And the one thing we haven't spoken about yet, Randy, is the fact that Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine met with the media earlier on Wednesday as well after it was confirmed that Patrick Alvine has signed a three-year extension to be the general manager of the hockey club. And I was joking before the break, like, is this a situation where, oh, you sign your extension, now you're going to go out and make a big splash? And, of course, that wasn't the case. We heard Dan Milstein, uh, or heard from Dan Milstein on Twitter, the agent for Andre Kuzmenko earlier tonight, 
saying that they had been working with the Canucks and the Flames on this since the weekend in terms of Kuzmenko agreeing to go to Calgary because the Flames were one of the teams on his 12-team no-trade list, so that had to get dealt with. Um, But Alvin now has a mandate. It's clear that ownership and his boss, Jim Rutherford, are very pleased with the work that he's done to this point. So Rutherford has a mandate. Alvin has a mandate. And not that that has any direct connection with this trade because it sounds like it's been in the works for a few days. But they can feel confident going out and making the moves that they think are right for this team, both in the short term and the long term, now that both of them are locked up to multi-year deals. No doubt. And this is, you know, something that I think from this management team's perspective, uh, a lot of talk here, as you mentioned, I'm in Toronto for the All-Star game and a lot of people that I've been talking and saying, hey, what about that Vancouver team? This has been an unbelievable turnaround. And, you know, Rick Tockett has a lot to do with that, of course. But Batch, when we talk about getting the right players, the right coach, um, you know, the right situation for this team to have success, that starts right at the top. And Jim Rutherford coming in, Two months later, hiring Patrick Alvin and making it happen um, and getting the right moves. It didn't happen overnight. It took a long time. There's a lot of things that they had to figure out as they went along. But that was a situation where, you know, Rutherford did what a lot of folks were calling for. I was calling for when I remember I was hosting Reach Deep back in the, in the People Show where, you know, you have to have somebody set the tone have that alignment and Jim Rutherford has been able to do that it hasn't been smooth it's been some rocky situations of course as we've seen the last couple of years Patrick Alvin has been a, a very methodical general manager and a very I would say you know we've seen from the sheer number of trades a very very aggressive GM uh, when he needs to be a very uh, active GM but look at the moves that he's been able to make and look at this roster I'm very impressed by these moves, and whether it's a Sam Lafferty pickup, a guy that gives you 10 goals, or whether it's you know an Ian Cole or a Carson Soucy, it just seems, in terms of working with his staff and the hockey de- uh, operations department and the staff that they put together, whether it's amateur or pro scouting, they've done, you know, they've been able to to execute their plan, and that's something this city's was asking for for a number of years of hey, stick to a plan, be confident in that plan, and Patrick Alvin, to his credit has very much so done that, and it seems like the players also feed off that organizational ambition and alignment. Absolutely. Uh, Let's get back to some more listener questions here, Randeep, and I've highlighted a couple here because they're kind of getting at the same thing. Clark asks, is Lindholm a rental? And there's a couple other questions along that same line. Peter asks, does Lindholm extend? Tyler says, is this trade a win if the Canucks have a lengthy playoff run but aren't able to re-sign Elias Lindholm? And that's an interesting part of this conversation because um, there is not an extension in place for Lindholm. He is a pending, unrestricted free agent. Um, So... You know, it's part of an interesting puzzle now for the Canucks because we've already talked at length on this show and, you know, on these airwaves about the number of pending UFAs the Canucks have coming up and are they going to be able to afford to keep them all, not to mention the restricted free agents like Pedersen and Hironic. And now you add Lindholm to that mix and it's hard to really answer, 
you know, whether they're going to be able to extend him, what that number might look like. Um, You know, I think coming into this season, a lot of people were using the Horvat contract as a comparable for what Lindholm might be able to get. But because his production has been down this year, uh, maybe that number is not quite as realistic. Maybe it's a little more affordable for the Canucks to extend him. But at the same time, is that something that's going to happen right away with all the other moving pieces that they have to figure out? I'm not entirely sure. No, and, you know, this is as of right now, it's a rental, right? Like, from the information that we know, this is a player that's going to make this team better in the short term. But, you know, is this a player that, a couple of things to keep in mind. You're right. You know, previously when we've heard of his contract talks and what they were offering in Calgary and all of that, uh, the number did seem quite high. But you mentioned the slow, you know, season this year. He's not playing to a level that uh, he's accustomed to. Another part of this discussion is also, you know, the players' wants. If you go to a situation that has a maybe a two or three year window to win, you've got Elias Pettersson, you've got Quinn Hughes, you've got J.T. Miller, um, you know, you've got some other players um, that are high end players that maybe the league was sleeping on. And Philip Hronick, does that change what you want as well? Not necessarily from a, a dollar value, but maybe it's a term perspective. So couple of things to watch there. We don't really know what that, that situation is like for an Elias Lindholm. He's a, you know, he's a guy that seemed to enjoy his time in Calgary since he was traded there from Carolina. Uh, but as of right now, I would certainly treat it as a rental just based on the fact that there's so many other moving parts that you need to address, whether that's Patterson, whether that's Hironic. Uh, there's plenty of cash coming off the books this year. But Batch, to me, I think the focus here is this year with maybe a little bit of an eye to the future, but a lot of that's going to depend on Elias Lindholm and how he plays and maybe what his camp wants on that next contract. And it could depend on Elias Pettersson and what he mm-hmm. wants in terms of uh, his long-term future as well. That's the, you know, I alluded to it earlier, that's the other part I like of the Lindholm acquisition is it's a contingency plan to help you down the middle. Uh, plenty more questions here. We've got some time left to hopefully get to as many of them as we can here on In the Booth in the wake of the Elias Lindholm trade. And another interesting part of the way that this trade was sort of coming together on social media and people were following on the social media platform, formerly known as Twitter, as I always call it, uh, on Wednesday night. And I was right there with everybody scrolling and and refreshing and waiting to see which insider was going to break this deal and when the news was going to come through. And at one point, there was some suggestion that Chris Tanev might have been involved in this deal. And then I believe it was Darren Dreger ended up reporting that those conversations were had, but it ended up seeming like it would make more sense for Tanev to be in a separate trade. So Lionel Hutz on Twitter, uh, again, the lawyer from The Simpsons, who always writes in, we appreciate it, uh, asks, are the Canucks still going to go after Tanev even after this trade? And that's an interesting one uh, because we don't know for sure that you know they were really aggressively targeting him as part of this deal. Uh, if they wanted to bring Tanev in, they'd have to ship some money out to make that work against the cap. Uh, but just on the face of it, with the kind of player that Chris Tanev is, right shot defenseman, what he can bring to your lineup, I can certainly see why this management group might want to target Chris Tanev and bring him back to Vancouver. Whether they will, 
I don't know. But if you're starting to look at what other needs there are on this roster, Tanev is a guy that might fill a need as a right shot guy on the back end that can block shots and play a game where he's willing to sacrifice a lot to help you defend and win games. Yeah, I think there's certainly a need when you start looking at that right-hand shot defenseman, whether it's the first or second pair, depending on how you have your defensive pairings work. But, Batch, one of the areas that you got to watch out for now is draft picks, right? You've got no uh, first-round or second-round pick in 2024. You don't have uh, a fifth, um, which is – you're not necessarily worrying about that. This is a t- team that's in one-now mode right now, uh, but how much are you comfortable – you know, moving off of, are you getting into 2025? Are you getting into 2026? So, you know, what is that return uh, for a Chris Tanev? And I I just, looking at the market, I feel like the return is going to be quite high for Calgary, just based on the fact that how many teams could use a right shot defenseman, right? You start looking at some of the the teams, the city that I'm in right now in Toronto. Yeah, they've been looking for defensive help all season long. Is Brad Trilliving one of the the GMs that's keeping an eye on Chris Tanev? Uh, yeah, there's you know reason to believe that Sean Walker and Brett Pesce and all of these. There's a few other names out there. I guess the question I have is how confident or how aggressive do the Canucks want to be further? This is a big move for the Vancouver, right? You get rid of your right-shot defenseman uh, prospect. Uh, you make uh, a move with a first-round pick. How much more are you willing to go all-in in order to get that? Or are you saying, we're going to add something, but it's maybe not on the high end like a Chris Tanev? So I do expect the Canucks to probably make another move. I I'm, I think they're going to try to, no doubt, improve this team as much as they possibly can. I just don't know if the Chris Tanev move is one that you can you can pull off and, you know, are you working on the high end of those defensive pairings? Or are you going on the low end just to add a little bit more, maybe to solidify your second and third pairing rather than your first and second pairing? And you do wonder about, you know, there were some rumors over the last few days about Nikita Zadorov and whether they would move off of him. And you and I have talked on this show in the past about how Rutherford has brought in guys when he has a need and then moved them out again when the need isn't quite as uh, glaring. Now, that said, if we were going to use that rationale, Carson Soucy's out of the lineup mm-hmm. right now, and that's part of why they brought Zadorov in was to fill that need when Soucy was hurt. But, you know, that is the kind of move they would have to make to free up the cap space to go after someone like Tanev, not to mention then giving up the assets to acquire uh, a highly thought of right shot defenseman as you allude to. And, you know, we had a few questions about this. There's another one here, more open-ended, asking what their next trade targets will be. And I agree with you that they're probably looking to add depth on the blue line now that they've got the top six forward that they were targeting. I just don't know if it's as high-end as Tanev. It may be more tweaking around the edges, bringing in another guy that can be a seventh or eighth defenseman uh, that can come into the lineup if you have injuries, that maybe has a bit of grit. Uh, And grit is an interesting conversation around this team as well uh, because we got another question in here from someone on Twitter. Sean right again said, lots of skill up front, but is there enough grit? I would like to see a Max Lapierre type trade. Thoughts on that? If you could find 
you know, some more depth on the blue line that maybe can play more of a grinding game. And, and yeah, maybe someone to add on your fourth line that brings a little bit more of that physical presence. You certainly could. But at the same time, there are some guys on this roster that do that already. Dakota Joshua, last check uh, when I was looking at the stats anyway, second in the league in hits. So he's a big physical presence. They've got some guys that get in on the four check, that work hard, um, that can play kind of that grinding game. So I do wonder if that's something that they would target, but I agree with you that it's probably more likely that they make depth moves rather than something like a, a big splash like Chris Tanev, although I'm not willing to rule it out based on some of the reports that he was at least part of the conversations ahead of the Lindholm trade. Yeah, I think some of the players that you know I'm thinking of and Chris Tanev, if they make it happen, that's uh, credit to what this management team can do in terms of making the cap gymnastics work. But, you know, more realistic names for me, uh, if I'm looking lower down the food chain is, you know, you talk about a, a defenseman with grit, like an Ilya Labushkin in Anaheim, right? This is a guy that's in the final year of his contract. It's probably not going to take too much to get him out of Anaheim, but he does give you an option with Noah Juleson on that right-hand side. He's a player that at the age of 29 has played, you know, a few hundred games in the NHL, 300 plus. Is he a player that can at least add a little bit of sandpaper, give you an upgrade on a Mark Friedman uh, further down the lineup, but you still have an NHL player that has, you know, shown through his time with whether it's Buffalo, whether it's Anaheim, whether it's, you know, Toronto for a couple of years that he's an individual that might be able to give you minutes if you need them. And and like a true depth signing or addition, it's not going to excite anybody, but certainly brings a certain style of game that you could use. So, yeah, I I think it's going to be really difficult for this team to to add a high-end piece. Um, Color me surprised if it happens, but I'm looking more of a, all right, who's a guy that's maybe 6'2", 6'3", could probably compete with Noah Juleson, so Juleson doesn't have to be an everyday right-shot D in case of injury to somebody else, and that makes Ian Cole move to the back to the left-hand side. Just gives you another option, Batch, and, and yet again, another tough player to play against in the playoffs. Yeah, and there was another question coming in along these lines uh, asking would they move out Ian Cole to bring in Tanev? Uh, This was Nate writing in, and I don't see them moving out Ian Cole. I think he's a piece that they like. I think he's someone they brought in with veteran experience, with Stanley Cup pedigree, so that would really surprise me, and I'm sure you agree, Randeep, if they moved out someone like Ian Cole to try and create room for Chris Tanev. Yeah, it doesn't, you know... I could see a few other names on that roster leaving soon. Uh, I think Ian Cole is somebody that just gives them so much versatility on the left-hand side too and such a key penalty killer. But, you know, with Chris Tanev, you got to remember, hey, you're looking for an upgrade on that right-hand side. And if you've got a surplus to requirements, who's that defenseman that is going to be potentially that surplus? Is it Zadorov? I-, I think it's more likely to be Zadorov than Ian Cole based on the way that they've used him this year. He's been a very, very important penalty killer and a guy that they trust uh, to eat minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another question here from Steven. He says, and he's, his tongue's planted in his cheek here, I'm sure. If Kuzmenko didn't go to Bali this offseason, would he still be a Canuck? And You know, I'm not going to get into that specifically, although Jim Rutherford at points, you know, did criticize the way that Kuzmenko trained, said he got himself into great shape, but not necessarily great hockey shape. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing there, but I think we do need to spend a few minutes here looking at what happened with Andre Kuzmenko in Vancouver, because 
coming into this season, and this is just a few months ago, you have to remember, if I had said to you, Brock Besser will hit 30 goals before the All-Star break and Andre Kuzmenko will be traded before All-Star weekend to the Calgary Flames because he's having a down year, you wouldn't have believed me. Besser struggled at times last year. Kuzmenko was a 39-goal scorer, looked like a fixture on Elias Pettersson's wing, and it does really show you how quickly the tides can turn in a game like hockey at the level that these players play at in the National Hockey League, but... You know, I, I tend to think that the beginning of the end for Andre Kuzmenko probably came when Rick Tockett was hired as the head coach. And Tockett has talked so much about accountability and about raising standards. And that's where Andre Kuzmenko struggled is in terms of some of those non-negotiables and staples that we've heard Tockett emphasize basically on a daily basis since he became the head coach of this team. Yeah, accountability is important for this coach, and this is a you know an individual that did seat uh, a JT Miller on the bench earlier this year when he was not playing to the standard that the coach wants him. He's an individual that also did notice some not so great things in Elias Pettersson's game in a, on a night that he scored a hat trick against the Nashville Predators. So you know, accountability is in a is a very important thing to this coach to say, hey, you're playing well, you're hitting your goals, but it's more than goals and. You know, Batch, I go back to that St. Louis game on January 24th where Andre Kuzmenko played 13 minutes and 58 seconds. He was a minus two, but there were a couple of moments in that game that kind of signified or signaled, you know, what Kuzmenko's season has been this year, where you might have some jump in your game, but a couple of mistakes, not getting the puck deep, maybe trying to do too much at the offensive blue line, goes back the other way, and momentum in that game just goes right out the window, especially in that first period. And, you know, even after their first period in that game, you you mentioned it, you tweeted it out, Kuzmenko sitting on the bench, not going into the room right away. It felt like that game to me was a, okay, this is this is a little different now. We're in different territory. And it, and it simply comes down to trust. We know he's got the offensive talent. He's shown it over the last year and a bit. But on a winning team, can you play winning hockey? And unfortunately for Andre, with the Vancouver Canucks, he wasn't able to do that. This is a coach that wants offense, but not at the expense of playing the right way because in the playoffs, it's those types of plays, maybe soft plays, maybe you know not getting the puck deep that will cost you games. And as much as I like Andre Kuzmenko as the personality in Vancouver, great guy, you know, your interactions with him, I'm sure are very similar, just always, you know, a nice guy in the room. Um, it, it didn't seem like it was a fit with this coach. And, and that's essentially what happened here where, hey, high skill player, but you got to play a certain style for Rick Talk. And if you don't, you're going to be seeing yourself on the bench a lot. And that's unfortunately what happened with Kuzmenko. Yeah, absolutely. And I I hope that he can find his game again in Calgary where they need offense and he's a player that can provide it if given good opportunities. It'll be interesting to see. We've talked so much about where Lindholm's going to fit in in terms of the Canucks lineup. Like, where could Kuzmenko slot in playing for a Flames team? Does he get a chance to play with someone like Huberto or Kadri? And, and can he build some chemistry with them and regain some confidence and provide some offense? And as we look ahead, the Canucks and the Flames do have a couple of head-to-head meetings remaining this season, both of them in Vancouver, one on March 23rd, and then the second one on April 16th, right towards the end of the regular 
season. So it's not the last that Canuck fans will see of Andre Kuzmenko on Rogers Arena ice this year. But I do wonder about the fit for him in Calgary and whether he can find a home, get back to being the kind of player that he was last year, which was so dynamic and entertaining for Canucks fans during a a very tough season and maybe be an important part of the Flames going forward. We know he's going to be there this year and next year at the very least. Yeah, and I look at that lineup in Calgary where I think on the top line with the Huberto and Kadri could make a lot of sense. You know what Manazem Kadri brings down the middle? Uh, Huberto, when he's on his game, he's one of the best playmakers in the game, uh, but he's got to show that he can do that in Calgary. He hasn't been able to do that yet. Kuzmenko might get his looks there playing alongside Jonathan Huberto. So, you know, that's something that I think could be an advantageous spot. You're talking about top six duty. You're probably talking about definitely a first power play unit type of guy playing alongside uh, a Sharon Govich and O'Hanifin and Kadri and Huberto. So he's going to get his looks there, Batch. I think this is a move that if you're Calgary, you understand where your season's going. You want to maximize what this guy can do. And remember, uh, there are some uncertainty in that lineup as well. Dylan Dubé is not going to be in the lineup for for other reasons, of course, we know legal reasons and, and the process that's playing out there. They have some injuries. They'll probably have maybe a trade or two more. So I think Kuzmenko is going to get his looks, uh, but it's really up to him. Can he find his confidence again? And can he get a fresh start? Because in Vancouver, the last couple months, um, you know, we've talked about it a lot, but I imagine for the player, the fact that he's willing to waive his no-trade clause to a city that was on his no-trade list shows you that there's a a desperation to get a fresh start and really show what he can do. I would not be surprised if he put up goals in Calgary. That's what he does. He's got a lot of talent, but can he do those other things is the question, and that's ultimately why it fell short here in Vancouver. That is... Just about all the time we have here on In the Booth this week, an emergency edition of the podcast after the Elias Lindholm trade coming to Vancouver. So Lindholm now goes to the All-Star game as the sixth Vancouver Canucks player to represent this organization in Toronto and the seventh person overall there, if you include head coach Rick Tockett. And before we go, Randeep, you are in Toronto getting ready for the All-Star festivities. What do you have coming up with Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi, as you're there on the scene in the center of the universe? Well, that's right. As of right now, it's past midnight, so it's technically Thursday, but uh, later on today, it's media day, so I'll be interviewing uh, a bunch of NHL stars, hoping to catch up with a couple of the Canucks, uh, other players on top of that, so keep an eye out for that. And also got a special little event I'm, uh, I'm hosting here with uh, a Quinn Hughes, uh, Marie-Philippe Poulain. You might have heard of her, Captain Clutch, and of course... Uh, there's going to be some kids that are learning about the sport of hockey. They're just new fans. Uh, so we're, we're having a cool event here in downtown Toronto. So I'm just looking forward to, to covering it. Uh, keep an eye on, on you know, social media, of course, but also uh, taking in some of the festivities and the fun stuff with All-Star uh, and everything it has to offer, Batch. All right. Well, you enjoy it. I'm going to go back to putting my feet up and relaxing a little bit here before we get back to work next week when the Canucks resume their schedule coming out of the all-star break that does it for us here on in the booth this week again if you missed any part of the show it lives as a podcast on the canuck central podcast feed and stay right here on sportsnet 650 for all the latest when it comes to the vancouver canucks if we see any more moves from jim rutherford and patrick alvin in the coming days you've got it right here on the official home of the canucks sportsnet 650